Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 13, following along with lesson 13, the book of Venus through words of Mormon. And if I thought last week was crazy, then I don't think I have words to describe what this week was. Starts out on Tuesday when I found out I'd be working from home because of coronavirus. And then on Wednesday, I woke up not from an alarm clock, but from an earthquake. And I can officially check that off the natural disaster list for me. I've been through a hurricane, not an earthquake. So uh, yeah, I also found out that an earthquake is like Lex's, one of Lex's greatest fears. I did not know that. So you learn something every day. And then on top of that, the trumpet fell out of Angel Moroni's hands on the Salt Lake Temple, and I am left with so many questions. And also, the internet has provided me with so many memes. So it's been a week. It's been a week. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone's okay. Um, you know, I think, if anything, I've learned that during disaster and during crisis, the best thing is to have, you know, a good support, good family, good friends a good community, and being part of a church that kind of provides that structure for you has been a huge blessing for me and uh, and for my family. And, you know, I think when a lot of people are like, holy cow, what's next, you know? I'm left with a lot of peace knowing that no matter what comes next, I know who to turn to and who to look to. And I don't want that to come off as preachy, because I know that that could kind of come off as preachy, um, but but truly that's that it's generally been something that I've been super thankful for. If I'm being honest, is just that I'm able to keep my sense of humor through all this because I know who's in charge and I know that he has all the answers and that my life is in his hands and I'm comfortable with that. That's something that I really do get a lot of peace from, and I don't think that that's something we necessarily all feel. Um, I don't even know if I'd say we necessarily should should all have to feel that. Um, but I just know for me personally, I am very comfortable knowing that my life is in God's hands and that that he knows what's going to happen with me, and, and I'm okay with that. So uh, I know this week has been really stressful and full of anxiety for a lot of people, and, and if you're one of those people, I just want you to know you're not alone. Um, that I think in some way, in one way or another, we're all feeling anxious about something that's happening in the world right now and that we're we're in this together as as children of god and as siblings in that eternal family we we are all in this together and so you know reach out to someone if you need that help and uh if you, if you just need someone to talk to um you know find that person who you can trust and if not you can always turn to me and and talk to me um so yeah uh yeah, that's kind of what I want to say on that, and literally, I hope everyone's doing okay. I really, I, you know, we're doing fine. So, like I said, to me, this is all one great story that we're able to tell our future posterity and family and friends. You know, it's uh, it's fun to be able to share these stories one day. I know, like, in the here and now, it's probably like, 
maybe it's too soon, but uh, one day it won't be. The other thing I wanted to say is I want to give a shout out to, uh, because so real quick, I always ask, you know, for everyone to share your insights, questions, uh, you know, you'll hear it at the end of this episode as well. Um, and I want to say thank you and a shout out to my friends, Connor and Shannon, who uh, shared with me from this last week's lesson, uh, some of the insights they gained. So uh, here's the text. I'm going to read the text. And it was, uh, like I said, it was Connor and Shannon that shared this with me. And he said, Hey buddy, I was listening to your podcast yesterday and had a thought. You know how Jacob 5 talks about the bad branches being cast into the fire during the restoration portion of the allegory? Well, Shan and I were trying to figure out what that meant, and we were thinking about people leaving the church. Leaving the original tree, in my mind, means leaving God's covenants, uh, like the House of Israel. Um, You know, just from the changes in church policy and things that have happened over time, Uh, think of all the people who are leaving. It hit me that the pruning of the tree is happening right now as people are choosing to leave. All these things that people take as opportunities to leave God's church and their covenants, I wonder, might be tests and methods for God to clear out the branches which bring forth bitter fruit, and ye shall not clear out the bad all at once. What do you think? And yeah, I I, I think absolutely. I 100% would agree with him. I think uh, Jacob 5 is that... Like, that's happening right now, and I think we're in it, and I really love that thought that he shared. And then he, he goes on further to say, um, I've always thought that the pruning would be people dying from disease or something, but at this point, uh, God values our choice so much that, that the pruning will be a majority of people who choose to leave, not people that are who are thrust out. Uh, Shannon mentioned that we're taught as kids that life is a test. But for some reason, we as adults don't like to talk about things like tests as much. It's really interesting. And so I just want to say thank you to Connor and Shannon for sharing your thoughts and your insights with me from the Jacob 5 to 7 lesson. And uh, yeah, I I agree. And, and that's really the, for me, the joy about doing this is just hearing from others about their insights because... You know, I'm going to think about things differently than than everyone else is, and hearing those perspectives is what helps me to be able to both build my faith and my understanding of the gospel. Because I'm on this journey with everyone else. Like I said, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a master in the scriptures or anything, and so really, I just I, th- I feel like we're all on this journey together. And uh, so, I, like I said, thank you once again for Connor Chan for sharing your insights. I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to please. Share your insights and questions and things that you think about with me, and you know I'll share them in this in the uh, you know the next episode of the podcast. Um, okay, so let's get into it. So first in the chapter intro, it says Enos went to the forest to hunt beasts, but he ended up staying there to pray all the day long. And when the night came, can I read that right? Yeah, and when the night came. Okay, because his soul was truly hungry to receive a remission of his sins, Enos was willing to pray as long as necessary and even to wrestle before God. And I really like the word wrestle, by the way. I know this is is in the actual scripture. It's always stuck out to me, though, that like, uh, you know, to wrestle with God. And I don't know, to me, it always stirs up like, what does that look like? And I've had prayers, I think, that I could consider a wrestle with God. Things that like have mattered to me a great deal that I wanted an answer for. And I was willing to put the work in to get that. Um, and I, and I think, I think that's it. Like, I think I understand what it is, but I also feel like, I don't know, Enos prayer, I've never prayed all day and night. Uh, I know in the past I've like, I've had thoughts of attempting to, uh, 
and then yeah i like fall asleep like i'll i'll get you know maybe 30 minutes in of a prayer or, or even an hour and then after that i'm like okay i've run out of things so i don't know if i just don't have enough faith like i don't have as much faith as zenas did or you know maybe my soul has just never hungered like his did um but i like the imagery of, of wrestling uh, before god so to moving forward it says that's what sincere prayer is not so much asking for anything we want but a sincere effort to commune with god and align our wills to his, our will to his and i highlighted that because i think that's a really important definition about prayer that's something that i think about all the time because i really do something i struggle with is getting into the habit of like uh you know giving the like a shopping cart to a, a shopping list to god of like here's the things i want um or even getting into like a repetitive like what i'm grateful for list and not making it about you know wanting to align my will with god's will and that's what it's about it's it's that sincere prayer is not so much asking for anything we want but a sincere effort to commune with god and align our wills to his and my most impactful prayers have been when i do that when i do it correctly that's when I feel it, and that's when my faith is, it grows. It says, when you pray in this way, when your voice has reached the heavens, you discover, as Enos did, that God hears you, and he truly cares about you, your loved ones, and even your enemies. In those moments, God can make his will known to you, and you'll be more willing and able to do his will because you are in harmony with him. Like Mormon, you may not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things, and he worketh in you to do according to his will. Um... And, and to me, that's what this is about. Like, to me, that's what that what it's all about with prayer. And so uh, so let's jump into the first section, uh, ideas for personal scripture study. So in the first chunk, it says, uh, Enos chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, a parent's words can have a lasting influence. It says, what message do these verses have for parents and for children? And I'm actually going to read it. Um, sorry, let's read these verses real quick, the, the 1 through 3. So it says, Behold, it came to pass that I, Enos, knowing my father, that he was a just man, for he taught me in his language and also in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And blessed be the name of my God for it. And I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God, before I received a remission of my sins. Behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest, and the words which I have often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart. So here's what I get from that is that I want to surround my home just with examples that uh, that my children are able to turn to and It'll, you know, stir up in their memories at any point in their day, uh, things that they're able to, to take and apply into their lives and really just create a sanctuary for the spirit to dwell. That's the most important thing I can do as a parent and, and as a husband, as a father, as, as, you know, as a disciple, all of it. For me, making my home a sanctuary for the spirit to dwell is the thing that will like impact people that come into my home and the people that are living in my home. And, and, and me personally. So all those things, as long as I'm able to create a sanctuary, a temple uh, of my home that the spirit can dwell in, then that will have the biggest influence. And I know for me growing up, um, that had the biggest influence in me was being able to grow up in a home where the gospel was taught and those messages, you know, were taught constantly. Uh, so that's that's what I got from that is, is just... That's what we can do, and, and not just as parents, but like as friends, as family, uh, you know, just all of it. Then in the next chunk, um, in Enos 
1, verse 4 to 27. And by the way, I'm distracted because I just want to say this. I, I forgot to mention this, but it's kind of weird. Enos is one of my favorite books. I love Enos. Uh, and I think it's because, for me, the first principle of the gospel that like really impacted my life was prayer. And uh, obviously, Enos has a great you know story to that can be gained about prayer and how to pray and and all that. So prayer really does mean a ton to me. It it all does, but prayer is the thing for me that is my anchor, is uh, being able to have that communication with God, and and I have full faith in it. It's uh it's not something where I I've ever felt silly about. I've never felt like I'm I'm praying to nobody or or to empty air. That's something from as a young age. Uh, you know, prayer has been something that I deeply believe in. I'm very um, passionate about prayer. And when people are going through hard hard things and challenges, my first response is like, did you pray? And it gets a little obnoxious. And, and actually one time um, on the mission, uh, when Lex and I were in the same zone, uh, for those that don't know, Lex and I met on our missions. And uh, we were in the same zone. And I remember for p-day one time the whole zone had gathered and i noticed that sister tebs was standing over on the side uh looking distressed like something was wrong and we go over and me and my companion go over to talk to her and it turns out that she had lost her um sd card for a camera that had all her pictures on it and everything like that so you know she's stressed out because she can't remember where she put it and and she's like i know i put it back in my camera and all this stuff and i was like well did you pray and she gave me a look like she could kill me now the ironic thing is right like we're missionaries and uh, why she would get mad about a good missionary answer, I'm not sure. But I, I wasn't being, uh, you know, sarcastic. I really was like, well, if you pray, then God will give you an answer right away. And so, you know, she was too mad to pray. And her companion was like, uh, Elder Anderson, maybe you should just, like, go. <laughs> but, I, but I was like, no, Sister Tebs, I'll say the prayer for you. Like, let's pray together. Uh, and so the four of us literally, we prayed to find this SD card. And... Pretty much immediately after, she was like, I think I need to go to the library and check for it. And they drove over there, and boom, there it was. So to me, it's just efficient. God wants to answer our prayers, and the more we, like, put off prayer, it's just delaying delaying getting an answer. Why would you not get the answers as fast as possible? That's how I look at it. And so that's kind of that's how I handle everything. And, I, you know, I've been told it can be a little obnoxious and frustrating, but I really do. Prayer. All right. If anything else from this this lesson, prayer and pray, like pray always. Uh, okay. So in the next section, my heart felt prayers will be answered. Well, I already said I believe that. Enos's experience with prayer is one of the most memorable in the scripture. In scripture, your experiences may be less dramatic, but they don't have to be less meaningful. Enos's experiences might reveal ways to improve your prayers. Here are some questions to ponder. What words describe Enos's efforts as he prayed? What did Enos initially pray for? What can you learn from Enos' responses after he received an answer? How did Enos act on the answers he received? What can you learn from Enos about how to have unshaken faith in the Lord? As I read through those questions, um, I did it kind of in, in a comparison to my own efforts, like, you know, how, how, what words describe Enos' efforts compared to your efforts or my, my own efforts. And it was, you know, I found ample room for improvement and repentance. That's, that's what I got from that is uh, when I compared my efforts to his efforts, and, and not necessarily that you should do that, but for me, that's just kind of how I was thinking about it. And it really did help me because I was like, yeah, I could definitely be doing better. And and that's what the scripture should be helping you to see and, and to do is, is how can we improve and do better. And so, you know, some things I came away with is like, for instance, in the question, 
what words words describe Enos's efforts as he prayed, one thing I thought of was like he wasn't sincere. And I would probably say that like 50% of my prayers are sincere and 50% not aren't insincere, but they're not like with a deep desire to actually like talk with God. And like I've said, those are the prayers that I don't really get a ton out of. Um, you know, I think Enos's efforts, not only were they sincere, but they were, they were packed with faith, with desire, um, with effort, with, with work. And those are the things that I want my prayers to look like. And I don't always give time for that. Um, often I'll come, you know, to bed past bedtime because I'm horrible at getting to bed on time. It's like one of the biggest things I struggle with. And I'll get to bed late and then I'm like, well, I don't have a ton of time to give a heartfelt prayer. And that's my fault. That's on me. If I would just, you know, get ready for bed sooner, then I could totally be able to come to bed and be able to, you know, give time to actually pray to God in a meaningful way. So that's something that I need to be doing better. Like I said, these are things that I took away just by asking myself these questions. It's like, okay, so what do my prayers... How do my prayers not look like Enos's? That's kind of how I took those questions and, and it just helped me be like, hey, there's definitely room for improvement here. So let's do that. Then in the second chunk, it says, or second, no, third chunk. Yeah, third chunk, sorry. The Lord will bless me when I keep the commandments. One of God's most repeated promises in the Book of Mormon is that if the Nephites kept the commandments, they would prosper. The Book of Jerem and Omni show a few ways in which this promise was fulfilled. What do you learn from these accounts that can help you prosper in the land? And I just want to say on that, um, because, you know, as you read it, it's like, they, you know, by keeping the commandments, they were able to prosper in the land and they were blessed and uh, received temporal blessings as well as spiritual blessings as, as well as increased faith and, and, and knowledge and all that. Um, and, and as I was thinking about it specifically with this week and the things that have occurred this week, I just want to point out that... Um, just because you're living your life right and just because you're, you know, doing things that you should, like, fulfill the the part of your end where you can prosper in the land doesn't mean that bad things aren't still going to happen. Uh, like an earthquake, right? An earthquake could happen and your home could be damaged or, or things like that. Um, like, natural disasters and calamities happen to good people. Uh, also, trials and, and bad things still happen to good people. Just like you know, good things happen to bad people. I, to me, what I just want to like keep in mind is that, and this is something that I got to work on. And I, I kind of, I've said this in the past and like, sometimes I have a tough time being optimistic. Not that I don't like look on the bright side. I do, but I like to kind of keep things into perspective. I call myself a realist and, uh, you know, some people say that's just a cover for being a pessimist, but realistically, like, I like to make sure that I'm never just being naive in my faith. And I also like to make sure that I'm not being like pessimistic and just looking on the, the woe is me side of things. I like to kind of keep myself on middle ground. That's how I like to live my life. I don't think that's necessarily the right way. I just, that's how I like to do it. And I just, I, I think it's just important to keep into perspective that, that you, if it's better for you, to look and and seek for the blessings in your life. Like when you're looking for blessings, then you'll see them. And when you're not looking for the blessings and you're looking more for the cursings, you'll find those too. And so it comes down to perspective, just the way that you look at the world and, and things like that. Like for me, 
you know, an earthquake woke me up before my alarm clock, but my family is safe and not, no damage happened to my house. And guess what? If damage did happen to my house, then at least my family's safe. And if my family's not safe, then it's because the Lord had a purpose for my family that was beyond my control. And, and that's up to the Lord. Like it's not, so that's what I'm trying to get at. I guess I feel like that's a roundabout way of saying it. Like, you know, you can, you, if you're like me and you see yourself more as a realist or something, that's okay. Um, but look for the blessings. Look for how the Lord is blessing you because that makes it easy to be grateful. And more important than whether you're an optimist, a pessimist, or, or what, what have you, it's it's about are you a grateful person? Are you Do you show gratitude to the Lord? And uh, are, are you the one, you know, like the one leper who came, comes back after being cured and, and gives thanks to the Lord? Like, are you the one or are you the nine? And uh, for me... I am so worried that I am not, am part of the nine that I do everything I can to try and be the one. And I'm not perfect at it, but that's something that I like, you know, I have great anxiety about. Can you tell? <laughs> All right. In the next chunk, it says uh, in Omni chapter 1, 14 and 21, it says, who were the people of Zarahemla? And I want to start out by saying when I was in what was it, middle school, high school, whenever it was, and um, before I had like really started to read the Book of Mormon. I, uh, I, like I've said before, I could never get past second Nephi. So I didn't know that there was like another group of people. I thought there was only the Nephites and Lamanites through the entire book of Mormon. And, uh, like, so yeah, even an ether didn't realize the Jaredites were a separate people. Okay. Now this was in high school or, or whenever this was, I think it was high school. Anyway. So late, I had finally read past. I'd finally gotten out of second Nephi and I get through all these chapters and, I, I, I must have like slept read. I don't know how I, but I read through it and it wasn't until seminary, like a seminary lesson when the seminary teacher was explaining it that I'm like, wait a minute, there's a different group of people. The people of Zarahemla were a different group of people. What the? So for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, that was actually something because I had read it and then obviously got nothing from it and then found out this huge revelation that, oh yeah, there's a totally different group of people. That was what sparked my interest in the scriptures. Um, do you guys have anything like that that happened for you at all? Like something that, you know, one at one point in your life, you didn't care about the scriptures as much. And then all of a sudden you find out something and you're like, oh, I've got to read that. And then, you know, become kind of like converted to reading the scriptures. For me, this was it. This was the thing that got me to care about the scriptures. So it says, after the Nephites fled the land of Nephi, they discovered a numerous people living in a place called Zarahemla. The people of Zarahemla were descendants of a group of Israelites who, like Lehi's family, had left Jerusalem and were led by God to the promised land. Among that group was Mulek, one of the sons of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, who was captured by the Babylonians in about 587 BC. After the people of Zarahemla arrived in the promised land, they met Coriantumr, the last known survivor of the Jaredites, whose story is told in the Book of Ether. Um... I remember, I, I, I don't know why, like, I, I, this occurred to me as I was thinking about these people. I used to think, how in the world, when they met up, did they understand each other's language? But that's kind of silly. I guess that's a silly, like, thing to think of because they were both, both groups of people came from Jerusalem. So I'm assuming they both spec, they spec, they both spoke Hebrew, right? And if the language had changed, it only been like, what, 13, 16, how many years was this? anyway not enough to like change the language right so it would have been they would have spoken the same language but i also think would that not have been kind of weird right like you meet this group of people 
and that you're in a completely different continent and then you run into this new group of people and you go to meet them and you're like oh what language do they speak and then all of a sudden they're speaking hebrew and you're like does everyone speak hebrew what in the i don't know i don't know how that looked i don't know what that meeting looked like but i think it would have been like a huge tender mercy to be like oh thank heavens we don't have to figure out a new language to be able to communicate like we don't have to start a war over this fantastic something just a random thought i had that yeah yeah there you go and then in the next chunk, Words of Mormon, it says, what is Words of Mormon? Um, well, you know, in my opinion, Words of Mormon is a spoiler. No, I'm just kidding. Words of Mormon serves as a bridge between the two sets of plates that make up the Book of Mormon. Here, Mormon gives an explanation of these two records, and his words teach an important message about trusting the Lord, even when we don't fully understand his direction. As Nephi was writing the record of his people, God directed him to create two sets of plates, called the small plates and the large plates of Nephi. Nephi didn't know why he was commanded to create two sets of plates, but he trusted the Lord had a wise purpose, which purpose I know not. Centuries later, as Mormon was abridging Nephi's large plates, he came across the small plates. The small plates covered many of the same events described in the large plates that Mormon had already abridged, but the small plates focused more on spiritual matters and the ministry and teachings of the prophets. God inspired Mormon to include the small plates of Nephi in his record in addition to the large plates. Like Nephi, Mormon didn't understand God's purpose for having both sets of place, but he trusted that it was for a wise purpose. Today we know what God's purpose was. In 1828, after Joseph Smith had translated part of Mormon's abridgment of Nephi's large plates, the 116 manuscript pages, Martin Harris lost those pages. God commanded Joseph Smith not to retranslate this portion because evil men would change the words and try to discredit Joseph. Thankfully, God had foreseen this and provided the small plates, which covered the same history that was lost with the 116 pages. The small plates composed of the books that compose Words of Mormon and Mormon's abridgment of the large plates begins after the Words of Mormon. So I read all of this to say, I read all of that, even though I'm sure you already read the lesson, I read all of that chunk to be able to say this. Question, did the Lord need to command Nephi to do two separate plates? My answer to that question is no. He could have, he knew what was going to happen. He could have done a ton of different solutions, okay? To like, for, for instance, he could have kept Martin Harris from losing the plates. Now, part of that would have affected Martin Harris's agency and the consequences that he made by not listening to the Lord. Um, so that doesn't really sound like the Lord's plan. He could have uh, been able to include, you know, instead of making a separate book, just make sure that the first 116 pages that Joseph Smith would translate would be like useless anyway. I don't know. What I'm getting at is that the Lord could have done what he did. He could have commanded uh, Nephi to do, you know, several different things, or he had, could have had several different solutions to what was going to happen. Um, because he's the Lord, right? Like he can do, he can do whatever. He he his ways are his ways. To me, what I get from this though is that it shows that we we don't need to stress about our future. Um, I, just, I don't know. Like, here it was in 600 BC when, jo when uh, Nephi is getting a commandment to create two different records, right? And well, this, this whole losing of the manuscript pages wouldn't happen until 1828 AD, okay? That's a, that's a long time, all right? Now, I can hardly think about what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone next week, let alone next month or next year, and so on and so on and so on. But I find myself stressing about the future, a future that I don't even know what it's going to look like. I don't know if there's going to be an earthquake tomorrow. I don't know if there's going to be, you know, like I don't even know what I'm going to wear tomorrow, all right? 
why why do we stress about the future so much and i think part of part of it i think is is just a you know it's a state of the fall it's something that is just natural to us we care about our future because it affects us and um, we like to be in, in control of our destinies at least i know i do uh, but I, I, what I gained from this and what's super important to me from this lesson is more than just that it's an abridgment. It's more like, to me, what I gained from the words of Mormon and, and really what it means on a grander scale is that the Lord is so aware of the future. He is so aware of every single detail and he's in control of it all. So if I can just do my part of being willing to give my life to him, whatever that means, and it, you know, that means putting myself through hardship. It means putting myself through trial. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, it means being willing to put my life in the Lord's hands, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, and sacrifice, worrying and stressing about my own future, trusting that he knows all and he's in control and that I can trust him. That is how, as Enos talks about, you get unshaken faith. Um, that is what I'm striving for is to be able to get that. And I feel like I'm just on the beginning of, of my journey, you know, like I, I, I can see the path forward, but there's still a lot of legwork that needs to be done and a lot of climbing, but that's where I want to end up. I want to be able to stop stressing about the future and it's stories like this. It's examples like this that I'm like, yeah, the Lord really does have it covered. I can, I can chill out a little bit. It's okay. And it's going to be okay. And as long as I can have faith and trust in the Lord, then then I can have that sure foundation that it really is going to be okay. Um, I don't have you know anxiety. I, I've never dealt with that, uh, or or depression or or anything. I have ADD, and I've said that, but um, I think part of the reason I'm able to deal with all the things that happen in the world is because I do rely so much on on my faith in the Lord and. And things like that. And I, I think it's a cure-all. But I also recognize that, right, that like depression and anxiety are real things. Those aren't just uh, something you just get rid of. Um, I, I Like I've seen it. I've seen that happen. So I recognize there are, are things. And, and that's why we have, thankfully, we have medications and, and doctors and things like that. I just know for me, my life is so greatly blessed by relying on the Lord and, and worrying less about the future and things that I can't control and just putting my life in his hands. And so that's just a thought that was really hitting me hard, especially with all that's been happening. And so then in uh, the second section, ideas for family scripture study and family home evening, the only one I want to cover is Enos 1 uh, verses 1 through 17. It says your family could look at a picture of Enos praying in search. Uh, in those in that, that section, uh, Enos 1, 1 through 17, for phrases that could be used as a title for excuse me, the picture. You could also ask family members to draw pictures of Enos's experiences and what do we learn from Enos about seeking forgiveness? Oh, got the hiccups. Uh, about seeking forgiveness. Um, so, so I just want to share a funny story that happened this week. This week we were praying with Flynn and Flynn's in that stage where he's able to say prayers but he has to repeat everything you say to be able to say it. And... Um, also to keep him interested, you have to pray for things that he cares about, like, you know, please bless Spider-Man, please bless Captain America, things like that. 
So we were praying and we always pray for family, especially if there was any family members we saw that day. We'll, we'll include them for him so because it's relevant. And so we had just seen uh, my sister Ashley and, and uh, Alex. And so we were praying for them. And I said, and please bless Ashley and Alex that they that they won't get sick or something like that, uh, you know, from coronavirus. And he said, please bless Ash and Al to get sick. And I was like, uh-oh, what do I do? Like the faith of a two-year-old is pretty strong. And so I just, all I could do was text Ashley and Alex. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like it, it, I tried, I did my best. And uh, just uh, stay away from me. <laughs> Keep yourself in quarantine for 14 days. No, I just thought... <laughs> I, d- I really did text them. I was like, guys, you better be careful because, you know, I can't control the faith of a two-year-old. Uh, so d- real quick. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I got from the lesson. Then finally, with the on the section of improving our teaching, it says, gather together often. President Henry B. Eyring taught, never miss a chance to gather children together to learn of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Such moments are so rare in comparison with the efforts of the enemy. And that is so true. I think about this all the time, just how many things Satan does on a constant basis to attack us and berate us in our daily lives and how important it is to, you know, stick to the gospel and find opportunities to include it in our daily lives. And the same goes with our, with our children. And like I said, friends, family, all of the above. And, uh, j- but just to remember, like Satan has no bounds as far as like, you know, what he's willing to do. He's, he's bounded by the Lord, but he's not bounded. Like he himself is not going to be like, Oh, I respect your boundaries. Um, so we have to be, we have to be the counterforce of spreading good and spreading the gospel and making sure to, to you know, utilize those opportunities. Um, so just a couple of verses that I felt like weren't really covered in the Come Follow Me lesson, but things I wanted to cover real fast was uh, in Enos verses 22 and 23. It says, And there were exceedingly many prophets among us, and the people were a stiff-necked people, hard to understand. That hard to understand reminded me of like teenagers because they have this lingo that no one understands. And like when you're a teenager, you understand it, but then you're not a teenager and you don't understand it anymore. Anyway, so watch out for those teenagers. And and there was nothing save it was exceeding harshness, preaching and prophesying of wars and contentions and destructions and continually reminding them of death and the duration of eternity and the judgments of the power of God and all these things, stirring them up continually to keep them in the fear of the Lord. I say there was nothing short of these things and exceedingly great plainness of speech would keep them from going down speedily to destruction. And after this manner, do I write concerning them? All I want to say is like, let's not be like that, right? I don't want our our prophet, President Nelson, to be like, and it, you know, it took everything to keep these people in line. Let's like, let's make his job easier. Let's make the Lord's job easier of gathering us. Let's not, you know, I don't want to have to constantly be reminded of my own death. Uh, then in Jerem uh, chapter one, verse 12, it says, and it came to pass that by so doing, they kept them from being destroyed upon the face of the land, for they did prick their hearts with the word, continually stirring them up unto repentance. This is talking about what the prophets were doing for the people. And uh, the, the pricking their hearts with the word, continually stirring them up to repentance, that's what we should try and be doing every single day is pricking our hearts with the good word. And if we can do that, that is how we are able to keep ourselves on the straight and narrow path. Then in Omni 1 verse 20, it says, And it came to pass... In the days of Mosiah, there was a large stone brought unto him with engravings on it, and he did interpret the engravings by the gift and power of God. This would normally not mean anything to me, except because we just got back from Mexico and we did this tour of Chich- uh, well, Chichen Itza and uh, Ekbalam. Anyways, our tour guide had, had shared this thing how, um, like, we saw these ruins where these, like, big 
rocks, these, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a boulder, right? Except it's like carved into like a square, like a rectangle. And they would carve things on these. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's what it looked like. So if you, if you want like a good visual, I don't know what to Google. Google like, I don't know. I don't know, like Chichen Itza ruin rock mount. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, all I know is like, that was really cool for me to be able to see that and be like, oh, so this is what they're talking about. Like they were doing this back then. And, uh, and that, that's kind of what probably what it would look like. And then finally, uh, Omni verse 25, it says, and it came to pass that I began to be old and having no seed and knowing King Benjamin to be a just man before the Lord, wherefore I shall deliver up these plates unto him, exhorting all men to come unto God the Holy One of Israel, and believe in prophesying and revelations and the ministering of angels and the gift of speaking with tongues and the gift of interpreting tongues and all things which are good. For there is nothing which is good, save it comes from the Lord, and that which is evil cometh from the devil. That last, that, those last two, the for there is nothing which is good, save it comes from the Lord, and there is nothing which is, there's nothing there, and that which is evil cometh from the devil. That right there is how you're able to discern between good and bad. If it's good, it comes from the Lord, and if it's bad, it comes from Satan. And uh, as long as you keep it simple like that, then life becomes a lot less uh, confusing and easier to handle. At least that's that's the case for me. Woo! It's been a week. It's been a week, and I'm glad we're all here. And I hope everyone's doing okay. Let me know if you're doing all right. As usual, uh, remember to share your insights and questions that you had with me, and who knows, I might be talking about it in uh, next week's episode. Uh, well, it's been great, and I will catch you next week.